Reese and Reynolds are in an isolated gulch just outside of Hollywood. An immovable cloud hangs overhead. This is Nope. Reese, what if I told you that after this podcast, you'll leave here different? That in 30 minutes, you'll have witnessed an absolute spectacle. Chris, it sounds like you're waiting for the perfect time to shove metal probes up a listener's asses. Isn't that right? Nope. At least for now, because you're listening to Bigger Pictures with Chris Reynolds and Reese Davis Santibanyev. Welcome to Bigger Pictures, the podcast you are currently listening to. I am Reese, and that is Chris over there. Chris, welcome back for another season. Hello, how are you? I, I'm good. I've done some thinking, mm-hmm. and I realised I'm too nice about movies. Really? My catchphrase before was, there's no such thing as a bad film. I'm going to change that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get mean. I'm going to be furious. I'm going to be so angry, you could call me Ven, Ven, Venny Jones from Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Circles. Venny Jones. I'm angry. I'm angry about everything, Chris. <laughs> movies make me furious. I'd really like to have Vinnie Jones on this podcast to hear everything he has to say about films. Vinnie Jones. Vinnie Jones is made out of two circles. He's a Venn diagram and he's Vinnie Jones. It would be great to have him on here because we could hear everything he has to say about films and then we could have another 28 minutes. No, it would be terrible, Chris. I hate everything. What, when are we doing the Vinnie Jones special? <laughs> I don't know how many films that is. I think that would be Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, the other Guy Ritchie film he's in, and X-Men 3 when he's like, I'm the juggernaut. <laughs> I'd quite like to have him on and just keep, keep him saying, I'm the juggernaut, over and over and over again. It would make for a very limited interview. So, Ven- Vinny, what, what are you working on next? Oh, I'm the juggernaut. <laughs> have, you, have you seen X-Men 3? Oh, ages ago. It's one of these films that had such high like films to step on before. It's a bit like Shrek 3, really, um, <laughs> but with Vinnie Jones. <laughs> I, I think it's dreadful. I would watch Shrek 3 with Vinnie Jones. I'm um, the gingerbread man. <laughs> you could have, like, rather than, like, have, like, a donkey change into, like, a horse, you could have, like, donkey change, like, his total voice. So rather than being, like, Shrek, it would just be, like, Shrek, what are we doing? I don't understand. We're going to go and rescue the princess. I mean, just the idea of, like, rewriting the entirety of Shrek to be a Guy Ritchie film does things to me. <laughs> That I think I like. <laughs> On the subject of doing things to you, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is a very good segue, we're here this week to discuss Nope. Yes, the new Jordan Peele movie. Chris, have you watched his other movies? Have you seen his other projects? I'm a massive Jordan Peele fan, and the reason I like his films is because they're a sort of, I think, quite clever take on the horror genre. Are you into the horror genre? Do you enjoy a bit of horror? Only in the last five or six years. So, like, growing up, I think I once caught The Grudge on Channel 5, and I just put off horror for life. Well, I mean, up until a few years ago. And now I love horror. I never used to like it. Exactly the same thing. And I, I think it might have been The Omen that got me to change my mind. <laughs> and the only reason I watched The Omen was because it had Patrick Troughton in it, who at one point played Doctor Who. And I knew that he got impaled by a spire. Oh, spoilers. Uh, from a <laughs> film that came out in 1975. But what I'm intrigued about, Reese, is how well you know the horror genre. Oh, I feel a quiz coming on. That's very intuitive of you, because I have a wonderful quiz here. It's a list of horror film summaries, and you have have to guess whether it's a real horror film or a fake horror film is it yep or 
No. Do you see what I did there? <laughs> see what you did there. So basically, you've got to guess whether it is a real horror film or a fake horror film. So, yep, it's a real horror film, or nope, it's a fake one. So, for example, a young African-American visits his white girlfriend's parents for the weekend where his simmering uneasiness about the reception of him reaches a boiling point. Is it yep, it is a horror film, or nope? So that's a yep, right? That's Get Out by Jordan Peele. It is indeed. You, you've got a point there. Well done. Woo! Okay, are you ready? This is where it's going to get tricky now. So, <laughs> okay. <clears throat> while travelling on the Trans-Siberian Express, an anthropologist and his rival must contain a prehistoric ape, which is the host of a life form that is absorbing the minds of the passengers and crew. Is it yep or nope? Uh, I've never heard of it, so nope. It's a real film. With Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. And weirdly, <laughs> Telly Savalas as a Cossack, but he's just doing his normal voice. So he's like, yeah, baby. Oh, it sounds like Mike, Mike Myers now, but he's like, yeah, I'm going to get on the train. It's very strange. Are you ready for the next one? I guess no, but yeah. An elderly man ties a set of balloons to his house, only to entirely miss the tropical paradise he was expecting and to end up marooned over the sea. As the air runs out, he wants to know whether he will plummet to his death or slowly drown. Is that a real horror film? Yep or nope? I'm going to say nope. It sounds like uh, some twisted parody of Up by Pixar. <laughs> yeah. I would watch I called it. it Down. Um, <laughs> That's good. You're entirely correct. You, you get that one right. Okay, next one. Following the failure of an elderly couple and a minstrel, a camp German man, a sadistic butcher, and a man called Jeff travel to London to try and save their fictional village. Yep or nope? What? What? Um, <laughs> no? <laughs> I have a feeling it's going to be true. Like, it's going to be a yep, but it can't be. That's the plot of the League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. And that is definitely wow. a horror film. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Okay. Following the apocalypse, only one man played by Christopher Walken and his glove puppet are left. Things deteriorate when the glove puppet turns on his master. Yep or nope? I want it to be true. Yep. Nope. Well, I, I, now I've read it out, I do wonder whether it is real, and I've just maybe I've just not Googled it enough. Um, <laughs> it sounds like it could be true, but it's, you know. Next one. While doing mind-altering experiments on animals, an eccentric inventor accidentally turns himself into a giant rabbit and haunts the local population. Yep or nope? Yep. I think that's Curse the Were-Rabbit. <laughs> the Wallace and Gromit film. <laughs> it's, Curse, it's Curse of the Were-Rabbit. Nice, yeah. I, I was so, so cool. pleased cool, thinking cool, about cool, that cool, one. Cool, 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 cool. Okay, uh, next one. A fun weekend turns into madness and horror for a bunch of groupies looking for fun in a beaver-infested swamp. That sounds very generic, so yep. Do you know which film it is? No, but it doesn't sound like the kind of thing you would have come up with. I think if you'd have come up with that plot, Christopher Eccleston would have played a part in it for some reason. <laughs> I, I would have had Christopher Eccleston as the beavers, wouldn't I, really? Let's be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that is the plot to Zombievers. Okay, and second last one. Peter Cushing, an archaeologist... Bernard Cribbins and John Richardson stumble upon a lost city in Africa run by Ursula Andrus, whose love holds the key to immortality and whose high priest happens to be played by Christopher Lee. <laughs> yep or nope? I, I've never heard of it, but it does sound exactly like the kind of thing that you would have uh, hunted down and watched. So, yep. That is the plot to She from 1965. Uh, interesting <laughs> fact for you. Peter Cushing and Bernard Cribbins spent the day learning to ride camels at Chessington Zoo in preparation <laughs> for the film. Uh, I've got one more for you. Oh, one more. Oh, cool. All right, then. Okay, you ready? Yep. 
A horse trainer living in the desert spots a mysterious cloud over his ranch and some horses are going missing and there's a guy next door who was in a show about a chimp. Is that yep or nope? Uh, well, ironically, yep, that is nope. Uh, it is, It is of course, nope, it is yep. <laughs> that is nope, yes. How did I do? You did very well. You did very well indeed. And I was delighted that you managed to get Wallace and Gromit and the Curse of the Were-Rabbit. I think yeah, that oh, was I a real achievement and you should be delighted with yourself. Mm. And you also managed to spot down, which I was I was really delighted with. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'd say 10 out of 10, but you didn't get 10 out of 10. So Well, we could, we could just fix it in the edit. We could aggregate we'll it. Just... Yeah, in aggregate yeah. score. <laughs> <laughs> you got we'll just we'll only we'll only have one one film and it'll be like yeah ten out of ten rather than the anyway never mind. I feel like towards um, the end my my correct answers are more the result of like knowing you and how your brain works rather than my knowledge of horror cinema. Which I mean I'll take it I'll take the no no that, that that's fine that that is the aim of the game as Abel once said. <laughs> um, okay, so we're here today to discuss nope. Um, yep. Reese, would you like to give a summary as best you can? Because this one's a difficult one. My dear Chris, I would love to. After a series of bad miracles, two Hollywood horse-rearing siblings must discover the cause in order to save their horses, themselves, and the rest of the world. Is that right? Yeah. It is an odd film. Jordan Peele is very good at making movies with depth. Yes. This is also the most complex of his films. There is just a lot going on. There are a lot of strands all tied together. Yeah, I mean, for people who've not seen Jordan Peele films before, normally there's like a horror sort of plot, but it's got several layers to it, often mixed with comedy. So Get Out was a bit more simple. Yes. Us, I'm not quite sure what it was trying to say, but it was saying something. <laughs> but this film has, uh, I think, quite a lot of points to it, and I'm not quite sure I understand them all. So let's see how we do between it. Um, what did you well, want to talk about with it first, Reese? Because there's only one thing I want to talk about this film, and I'm just <laughs> just going to keep talking about it, and I don't quite know why. I think we should start off by like talking about just everything that's in it, like because you know you've got the obvious race theme, which is in all Jordan Peele films. Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer's characters, OJ and Emerald, are these horse trainers in Hollywood who are treated very badly by the studio, right? Mm. As badly as the animals that they are training. Yes. Uh, and that's like a major recurrent theme in the film. You've also got the director, Antlers Holst, played by Michael Wincott, and his obsession with predators and the cinematography of uh, like nature documentaries. You've got uh, the, the weird horror stuff, you've got the alien stuff, you've got the cowboy stuff. It's all just really cool, and it's all kind of just in there, this big mixing pot that isn't immediately obvious where it's going. Even at the end, it's like not entirely obvious where it ends up. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I'd say that's harsh, but there are so many amazing things in this film. I, I, there's a bit where it rains blood on the house, which is just stunning. The music is great. There's a lot of people in weird get-ups that turn up at various points. That are, like There's the TMZ man. Like there's, there's so many bits that have been so well thought out. And the idea that the reason they spot this is because a cloud has stayed still is... Uh, I think astounding and and I, I find it an absolutely amazing film and I, I, I really really enjoyed it we warned about spoilers let's go straight to the end and then work our way back to the front maybe the last two shots of the film I think are fascinating mm. right because OJ and M have been fighting more or less this giant alien have, have they been fighting it though 
Well, that this is part of the, the issue. Is uh, I to wind it back a little bit. Essentially, the main characters are just trying to get a video of this creature that they've spotted above their ranch. It's an alien thing, mm. and they they're just trying to get some footage of it. But also, a lot of other people are trying to get that or exploit this thing for different purposes. So we've got Ricky Dupe. Is that his name? Or uh, Dupe was his character name on the Western TV show he was on as a child. Yeah, because he was a child so star. You've got, yeah, um, him who owns Jupiter's Claim, which is the the sort of nearby sort of rubbishy theme park and he's trying to essentially use it as part of a show to make a name for himself and this is linked to the idea of are they are they trying to do something they shouldn't be doing is in the sense of are they trying to exploit a predator as you said mm. is that something that you should be able to do or not and that's where I'm not quite sure at the end of the film that I came to a conclusion on, on what it was saying. Yeah. Well, yeah, because like the idea of spectacle and capturing spectacle on camera feels like a major part of this film. Yes. The entire thing feels like a commentary on Hollywood, how it treats people and the real world as subservient to this greater desire to create spectacle, to feed audiences. But, you know, the, the movie seems to be looking metaphorically at the cost of that creation of spectacle or capturing a spectacle. Yeah. And that, you know, so I don't think it's a coincidence that Ricky, the theme park owner, calls the aliens the viewers. Mm. That's his name for them. And that feels like a very like obvious tell at what Jordan Peele is getting at in this movie. The idea that Hollywood is full of people who seem to be kind of damaged in some way. They have some mm. like emotional stuff they haven't worked through properly, yeah. which is then motivating their fascination with death, with spectacle, with these kind of larger than life events, which seem to, you know, end up destroying them. In a, in a lot of the cases in this film. So one thing that I sort of wanted to raise, which is a, a sort of slightly controversial point, is there's lots of disparate elements in this. Yeah. And um, it reminds me at times of a film, a much, much, much better film, of a film from 1979 called Stalker, where essentially three men enter a zone in order to get some form of absolution. And the zone was put there by aliens. And there's lots of themes of things that have happened, basically. And... It's very strange. Andrew Tarkovsky, Andre Tarkovsky, I think, was the director. Mm. And he went to the Edinburgh Film Festival. At one point, someone said, well, is it actually about anything? <laughs> and the, the, director, <laughs> the director was really annoyed. And he said, the only person I'm con uh, concerned about in terms of my opinion is Ingmar Bergman and myself. <laughs> and I, I do wonder with this film... Do we need to understand all the disparate elements or can we just enjoy them? I feel bad saying that. I feel like we should be like trying to dissect every little minutiae of Jordan Peele's point. But I just can't understand the predator-prey thing. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I, I've tossed it over my head so many times and I just can't understand what it's about. It's all about like these different approaches people are taking to, to get this spectacle. You know, that, that, that's what they're, they're all doing different things. And the reason I think that OJ and Emerald succeed is because they understand it. They don't believe they're ordained to get it. They don't believe that they're better than it. They don't, they, they, you know. So you think that OJ and Emerald succeed at the end? Well, they get a picture of it, don't they? they, they well, I would something. say only M gets a picture of well, it. OJ dies. Does he? I'm 100% convinced that OJ is dead, yeah. Uh, well, I, so, I, OJ is the final shot of the film, yeah, right? I, and he is framed by this stand with a sign above it, part of uh, Jupiter's claim, that says, Out Yonder, which leads to the state okay. of the winds blowing sand 
from the desert around them and he kind of appears or like veiled and misty and it feels very much like it's meant to be vague and slightly ambiguous in the way that the endings of uh, Inception and Pulp Fiction are. Mm. But the shot just before that, I think it's even more interesting. Emerald, after having got on the Oprah shot, after having blown up the alien in the sky, okay. there is a moment where she stands up and the look on her face is like she's torn between crying and celebrating. Almost like a child who's fallen over and doesn't know whether to laugh or cry. You know, kind of stuck in that in-between moment where they're kind of working out what's just happened to them. The reason that's fascinating is because up to that point in the film, we see time and time again examples of characters who've gone through some sort of, like, traumatic event. Mm. And the way they've reacted to it is by becoming obsessed with spectacle and obsessed with representing that trauma to other people in the form of entertainment. Yes, and, you know, that's, she has to make a decision at that point how she's going to respond to it. If we go back all the way to the first part of the film, <laughs> which, you know, I think really unlocks this movie and the meaning of it. Like, you talk about all the disparate elements yeah. and the fact that, you know, you can't necessarily understand them all. I think that is exactly correct. You shouldn't try to. I think it's a bit of a red herring because this movie is the most intensely psychological movie mm. of all of Jordan Peele's work. The key to that is the, is um, Pop's death. Yeah. Uh, OJ and Emerald's father's death at the beginning. He owns the ranch. They inherit it from him after a coin falls out of the sky. The coin we later find out was part of the debris and detritus that was ejected from the alien after it had eaten something. Yes. And it just seemed <laughs> to hit uh, their father in the eye and kill him. Mm. After the father's death... We cut to OJ and Lucky the Horse mm. on a soundstage in Hollywood. And OJ is miserable. He is clearly grieving yeah. in a way that no other character in this film ever shows grief. M shows up a second later mm. and she is bubbly. She is like switched on. She is like trying to like promote all of her side hustles. And I think that is partly why OJ is able to unlock the key to defeating uh, the alien slash the viewer at the end of the movie. You know, he's the only person who can process grief. He's the only person who can understand what it is to, in his words, the, the metaphor of the film, is to not look it in the eye, but still understand it. When everyone else is obsessed with staring at this thing, and in that staring create that sort of um, the conditions for their own death, mm -hmm. he is able to go one step beyond that and overcome it. You know, and I think that is the ultimate like theme of the movie. Um, is that sense of grief and processing it and not getting trapped in that, like you might call it, Hollywood cycle of um, being obsessed with the spectacle. Mic drop. Can we please, dear God, please, 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 talk about Gordy. <laughs> I just want to talk about Gordy. Yes, let's talk about Gordy. So we haven't mentioned Gordy yet. The film starts with this sort of quite creepy narration and it just cuts to this shot of this chimp surrounded by, like, blood on this like soundstage it looks around and it they keep referencing it again and again and again you're like what is this and then about halfway through the film we get this whole scene where it shows what happened which is basically ricky was in a 90s sitcom i think called gordy's home mm -hmm. where a family live with a chimp and they throw a birthday party and a balloon explodes and then the chimp went wild and attacked all the cast and maimed a lot of them this isn't a real thing by the way that happened like it wasn't like one of the pg tips ads that went wrong <laughs> but like oh no monkey you're <laughs> eating my face stop it <laughs> have you ever seen any of the PG Tips ads, by the way? Like the ones with the proper monkeys in it? Like the yeah, proper with, what, with Johnny Vega? Oh, no. I no, 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 no. I might they, have done. The reason they had the stuffed monkey was because they used to have real ones, and everyone was like, this is really inappropriate. And people have since claimed <laughs> that the chimps have been like psychologically scarred by like, the whole experience of trying to sell tea. <laughs> but that's a whole other point. Or is it? Anyway, so 
Jupiter, Ricky, Ricky Jupe Park is the only one who survives totally unscathed. Well, physically unscathed. Physically unscathed. Physically yeah. unscathed. After this chimp has finished going wild and maiming everyone, it comes over to him. And Literally he, gone ape. Yeah, and, well, bum, bum, yep. you, think it, you think it's going to attack him, and then it does a fist bump, and then the thing just gets shot in the head. And you're like, oh, right. Um, and the question is... What influence does that have on Ricky? And some people would say, well, it, gives, it makes him feel like he was divinely chosen to try and exploit this alien thing, which is fine. But why does he fail? Is it because he's not processed his grief, as you said? Or is it because he hasn't really understood it as like a predator thing? I don't know, but it's a really good scene with a chimp. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. Um, I, I would have to say that, like, you know, with, with example, the example of Ricky, his moment of connection with the chimp, his uh, witnessing of the gore, and, like, I, you could call it the duality of the chimp. Mm-hmm. Like, it is trained to act like a human, but it is an animal. There are moments of compassion and of complete uh, bestial fury. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, creates um, a sense of obsession within him, trying to... Um, reckon with those two irreconcilable sides you know when we visit him later on in his life but earlier in the movie at jupiter's claim he has a secret shrine to gordy's home Uh. tucked away behind his office yeah um and inside is all kind of memorabilia including uh, a blood-stained shoe which was like present on the set of gordy's home which is like an integral part of that scene and remained standing. It was standing up, wasn't it? That's the that's the thing. As if it's a sign, yeah, that he should try and capture an alien thing. I don't. I don't get the divinely inspired bit though that you were talking about. I, where does divinity Be, come into this the film? Sh- because because the shoe was like there as a sign. It was like standing up, and he's like, "Whoa! This this whole incident is basically needs to define my life because I have been divinely chosen because the shoe is standing on its edge." Yeah, but why divine? Like, he doesn't mention anything about religion in the movie. The movie isn't concerned with religion in any way. Well, then, fate. (laughs) Fate, Reese. Fate. Having said that, Daniel Kaluuya's character, OJ, does have the line about what do you call a bad miracle. And there is maybe a sense of, like, religious language in there, but only in the sense that our language can't wrap itself around some of the awful things that happen to us sometimes, right? And all we fall back on is miracles and divinity and that kind of thing. Can I also just refer back, refer to one other thing, which I think we, we, I think we need to discuss, which is mundanity. What's really interesting, I find, about OJ and Emerald is that we have all these people in this film who are trying to create this spectacle using all these fancy things. So Ricky has, like, a stage and he has music and he has dancers and all this sort of thing. He's gone to loads of effort to make this big spectacle. And you've got Antlers who turns up with his special camera and he's got his little netting and everything and you've then got angel angel sets up all these fancy cameras so you've got all these people going to all this huge huge amount of effort to like capture this thing and what do oj and emerald do they use inflatable men and some (laughs) you know bunting that's it that and and they use a rubbishy well camera thing to get the photograph and that's the thing it's the mundanity of it the the boringness of it that they're not trying to do something mega overly fanciful they're not overthinking it they're using everyday stuff in order to get this spectacle and i think that's the difference in my head between them and all the other characters and that's where everyone else fails and they succeed because they basically are just trying to do it without overthinking it they're not hollywood they are bargain basement people 
trying to get this. They're, they're not trying to do it the Hollywood way, and that's why they succeed. Disagree. But M wants Bring to be it. Hollywood, right? Bring it on. Well, Bring it on. The only Come thing, me, the bro. only thing I disagree with in the movie is that camera at the end, right? As you pointed out, M uses a camera from Jupiter's Claim, which is kind of operated by a crank, and yeah. these are the same coin that kills Pops at the beginning uh, is used to operate this this well contraption, well camera. A good spot. I didn't. I missed that. <laughs> the shot at the end yeah. has both yeah. the inside of the well lit up, so you can see enough, like the texture of the bricks that you can see what it is but also the sky is perfectly exposed and the alien is perfectly exposed no no cheap fairground camera can can achieve that dynamic range can i just point that out that is not a believable shot oh so, so you're whole... that is my problem with okay, this movie dear mr peel my one problem with this D- film dear mr peel we are highly disappointed it's a zero <laughs> out of ten stars for us because the well camera is far too the good the rage of venny jones is building up within me as i speak <laughs> about this well um, I still don't quite understand what it's about, and I don't think I ever am going to. Hey, get on the grief train. I'm just, I'm never going to... I'm riding the grief train to the next station, to the ne- all the way to the next Jordan Peele film. Well, I'm, I'm going to be watching all the PG Tips ads with the chimps <laughs> and just waiting, <laughs> waiting for the bit where one of them literally goes ape, as you said. That's all I want from life now. That is me. That is where I'm getting off the grief train. I'm not going to Grief Central. I'm going to totally ignore it. Because <laughs> I just want the spectacle. Uh, should we wrap it up by talking about some of the films uh, that we thought were referenced in this? So, like, we're going to change up the season. Yes. Uh, the format this season a little bit. Instead of doing two ep- films per episode, we're going to be... For the next five episodes, we're going to be comparing the movie of the week, slash Fortnite, whatever, mm. to Nope. And seeing what sort of ideas or understandings we can take away, kind of given these films within each other's context. So, like, obviously... This movie has been compared to films such as Jurassic Park and Jaws. You know, there's like something about humanity and the relationship with predators and dangerous animals Mm. and kind of a fascination there. What movies came up for you when you were watching this? Well, I mean, I was thinking of Viva Rock Vegas with the Flintstones (laughs) quite a lot. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Nope. Um, uh, No, the... Nope. nope. Another film which I think would be a good comparison is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Not because of the themes, but because of the style and what that has lent to what I would call the alien genre. Mm. Um, and okay. I think we should watch that at some point. I, I want to shove that in your circle, your Venn diagram circle. It sounds quite unpleasant the way you've spoken about it, but that is normally exactly the kind of thing I like. I'm going to have a uh, So I've got mixed feelings. Let's mix the circles. I won't give away the films that I would like to compare this to, but I think one that at least on the surface is quite interesting is Nightcrawler and how in Nightcrawler, Mm. Jake Gyllenhaal's character is obsessed with getting the shot and where that leads him. This is is a different Nightcrawler to the one from X-Men 2. Yes, not not the X-Men Nightcrawler. Played by Alan Cumming. (laughs) Another film that you could compare this to, Wild Wild West, starring Will Smith. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Hollywood has a, a habit of kind of ignoring the role of black cowboys mm. in history. And just, yeah, just some throw up just because, you know, um, Daniel Kaluuya's character and um, Kiki Palmer's, they are uh, black horse wranglers and there is a history of it. And there's a um, very vibrant community still ongoing. We, we could watch but, Wild yeah, Wild West. There's also Blazing Saddles, of course, as well, which um, Mel Brooks' yes, his own yeah. special take on that, <laughs> which I would heartily recommend to watch. The first time I watched it, I was a bit offended when it started and I realised what it was doing and thinking, I oh, know, this is actually quite 
brilliant uh, and was entirely largely written by Richard Pryor so uh, when he wasn't setting himself on fire during cocaine binges or being attacked <laughs> by emu uh, and Rod Hull <laughs> do you know about that no when did this happen what's the story there you heard of emu uh, yeah I've heard of emu yeah yeah so like a puppet thing right it's uh yeah from the 80s yeah he was on some American show and Richard Pryor just had a load of reconstructive surgery after having been on fire and they said to him please do not go after Richard Pryor with the emu and he was like yeah yeah I'd do that <laughs> and of course the first thing he did was he went after Richard Pryor it's the Americans just don't get it it's so funny I mean that you could almost imagine that being a scene in like a Muppets version of Nope. <laughs> like Muppets in Space, directed by Jordan Peele, would have that scene, that exact thing. What, like Gonzo or something? <laughs> well, you could have him, or you could have like Sam the Eagle just loses it one day. <laughs> I have had enough. You are all weirdos. Well, Reese, I, I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Um, are we saying this week what we're going to be reviewing next week? Yeah, well, um, I picked Nope, so next week is your film. I'm going to go with Close Encounters of the Third Kind, because... Aliens. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good reason. Why not? Yeah. And so. you've not seen cool. it before, so you'll yeah. appreciate the comparison of the chimp scene in Nope with the chimp scene in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And in particular, how they're both set in sitcoms. And um, the chimp at one point tries to sell PG Tips tea and it all goes dreadfully wrong. <laughs> Uh, I think you'll lie, but uh, I don't know enough about the movie to call you out on it, so I look forward to seeing it. Well, you'll, we look forward to you tea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really tired. It's been a very long week. Um, and this is Monday. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Go have another cup of coffee. I'm, oh, God, I'm going to have several cups of coffee. Um, well, you've been listening to Bigger Pictures. I've been Chris Reynolds. You've been Reese Davis anti Banyeth. Listen up next week for alien-related fun. Bye. Woo! Bye. So, Glove Puppet, hey, just the two of us and the apocalypse. I'm gonna go over here. What do you mean you won't come off my hand? No, no, this is private time. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Hands down, starring Christopher Walken <laughs> and Christopher Walken's hand. So that, that was uh, very entertaining to listen to. I wasn't sure if you were there. I just thought I'd just, you know, riff.